Quality sleep is essential, and that's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. So you can choose what's right for you whenever you like. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature. Quiets their snores. Sleep Number does that. Sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on Sleep Number limited edition smart beds for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. Welcome to Unfiltered. Here's tonight's headline, Collision Course. If you can imagine it this way, two giant freight trains were bearing down on President Trump all week. First, you had the fast-moving impeachment inquiry, eight transcripts of closed-door testimony totaling 2,677 pages have been released, all of them to varying degrees blowing up Republican talking points, and all of them supporting the underlying thrust of the whole thing, that the president tried to shake down a foreign leader to publicly announce an investigation into his 2020 rival, or in the parlance of our time, quid pro quo. The testimony from two officials, Fiona Hill and Lieutenant Colonel Alexander Alexander Vindman, both allege that effort was coordinated by acting chief of staff Mick Mulvaney, bringing the conspiracy one degree closer to the president himself. And next week, the public will hear some of the damning testimony with their own ears, And with each passing day, Republicans are shifting their defense of Trump, contorting themselves into logic pretzels to explain it all away. If you could show me that, you know, Trump actually was engaging in a quid pro quo outside the phone call, that would be very disturbing. Do you plan on reading these transcripts that were released? No, I'm not even interested in the whole concept here. What I can tell you about the Trump policy toward the Ukraine, it was incoherent. It depends on who you talk to. They seem to be incapable of forming a quid pro quo. So, no, I find the whole process to be a sham. (laughs) Well, listen, that train doesn't appear to be stopping before it hits impeachment station. Then on a separate but parallel track, you have another freight train barreling down on Republicans. Elections. Tuesday's election results continue the trend we saw in the midterms last year. Republicans lost in places they shouldn't have. Democrats won in places they shouldn't have. That train appears to be headed for a blue wave junction in 2020. In both scenarios, this is bad for Republicans. Their commander in chief may well be impeached and and seriously bruised in the process. And their party may lose huge in state houses, Congress down the ballot on 2020. But a word of warning for Democrats. This does not mean they can coast president may very well walk away from impeachment unscathed, impeached in all likelihood, but just as popular, if not more so, among his base. He won't likely be removed from office unless Senate Republicans grow some serious testicular fortitude in the near future. And he'll use that to his advantage in his reelection bid. Moreover, this week's elections showed not just any Democrat can win in Trump territory. Look at Kentucky, a reliably red state, where Democrat Andy Bashir beat Republican Matt Bevin, as Trump's own campaign manager said. The Democrats nominated a moderate whose dad was a moderate who didn't talk about impeachment of Trump and who acts like a Republican. Are any of the Democratic contenders for president listening to that, or do they only listen to the coasts? 
Are they reading the polls? This week's New York Times-Siena poll of Democrats in six battleground states found that 55 percent prefer a moderate candidate. 62 percent want someone who can compromise with Republicans. The data and the recent election results make a case for a moderate to beat Trump. Well, there happened to be a couple running. Joe Biden, Amy Klobuchar, Pete Buttigieg all convincingly fill that bill to varying degrees. But for Michael Bloomberg, who never saw a problem he couldn't solve better than anyone else in his own mind, none of the Democrats running against Donald Trump are good enough. On Friday, Bloomberg filed for the Alabama primary minutes before the deadline, laying a groundwork for a run. The reasoning, according to his advisor, we now need to finish the job and ensure that Trump is defeated. But Mike is increasingly concerned that the current field of candidates is not well positioned to do that. Well, sorry, Democrats who've been running for two years, visiting all 99 Iowa counties, eating fried butter at state fairs, sending poorly paid staffers to burrow down in places like New Hampshire and South Carolina and everywhere in between. Sorry, Democrats who've been debating, fundraising, answering reporters' questions, voters' questions, Twitter questions, who've released plan after plan and explained over and over how you'd fix health care. Sorry, you guys just haven't performed up to Mike Bloomberg's standards. So here he comes to save the day. Here's the deal. Bloomberg is not the answer. Not now, probably not ever. He has no natural constituency. And parachuting in three months before the first caucus with a boatload of cash will not endear him to voters. If you can believe it, despite the dozens of candidates vying for the Democratic nomination, others are still considering jumping in this late in the game. Some names being floated include former Massachusetts Governor Deval Patrick, former AG Eric Holder, former Secretary of State John Kerry, and even Hillary Clinton. Okay, I got, I just, um, I have one question. Have you guys lost your minds? Iowa is less than three months away. Democrats have spent the last year introducing us to their candidates, all 200 of them. And the field is finally consolidating behind a handful of candidates, qualified candidates with voter bases that anyone would think getting in now would help Democrats instead of hurting them blows my mind. Except Oprah. Oprah can still get in. Okay, here to discuss is former New Orleans mayor, CNN political commentator, Mitch Landrieu. Uh, Mr. Mayor, I hope you enjoyed that. What hey. is going on in your party? How I mean, you are you worried? I'm- are you worried that Mike Bloomberg thinks the field is insufficiently capable of beating Trump? Well, first of all, two things. I'm definitely for Oprah. And I'm really right. excited that LSU is cleaning Alabama's clock right now <laughs> okay. on national TV. Shameless so plug. We're getting those two important things out of mind. Listen, okay. there's a lot going on right now. We're, we're, we are in an unprecedented time. Things change from day to day. You mentioned yeah. in your opening, we have the impeachment thing moving forward that Congress is working on. And it appears right. that there is a lot of evidence from people inside the Trump administration, many of whom were appointed by Trump, that the president abused his power to hurt our country. That's not a big surprise, but I think the depth and the breadth of it is will surprise the American public. And of course, Congress has to do its job and they're going to do that. While that's happening, you have these elections that took place that are pretty compelling. In Virginia, I think Virginia spoke very, very loudly and clearly about what direction they want the country to go in. And independence Mm -hmm. sided with the Democrats' view of the world, at least in that state election. In Kentucky, which is, a, I mean, really a, a bellwether for the Republican Party. You had a Democrat beat an incumbent. Right. 
in a red state. And then, of course, next week we have Louisiana, where we have an incumbent Democrat that's running. Right. His name is John I Bell understand Edwards, why you don't want to answer my question, but my question, no, no, Mr. Mayor, was what's happening in your party, it. and are you worried I'm, that Mike Bloomberg doesn't think you all have, have your acts together in the, in the primary? I'm coming. I'm coming to your question, and then John Bell Edwards is likely to win, and so you have a lot of stuff going on. I don't share the view that Mayor Bloomberg has that our party is upside down and that we don't have candidates that can win. Okay. Joe Biden, I think, has been doing very, very well, um, and you have a lot of other people that can. But be that as it may, he has okay. decided to get into the race, and the question that is, what what impact is it going to have on the race? He's obviously well qualified to be president. He's got more money than anybody else in the country. He's got a record to run on, and because elections are like roller skating derbies, it's going to have an impact that um, we don't really understand at this point. So, mm. I mean, we'll see, but it's hard to predict at the moment. Well, so Monmouth polling found this week, brand new poll, 74% of voters are satisfied with the current field. That's among Democrats. Shouldn't that be definitive yeah. enough for anyone considering getting in this late? Well, I think that's I think that's probably true. That's the way I read the polls. I think yeah. people are happy with the candidates that we have. I think we have 21 good candidates that have been through the grill. But be that as it may, Mike Bloomberg has every right to run. I don't necessarily think it's good for the moderates. He, he would take up a, a fairly significant space um, in those lanes. And now he's going to have to go perform. So we'll see. I don't, I don't really think we know. It's very hard to predict, given how volatile the political well, world is, yeah. what the heck is going to happen in the next three months. You've never seen anything well, like this, right? No, no, for sure. For sure not. Not on um, the Republican and, or the Democratic side. Nope, you're absolutely right. That's true. Um, let's talk more about Joe Biden. He spent mu much sure. of the week sparring with Elizabeth Warren about Medicare for all and what he called an elitism. Um, Warren returned fire, basically accusing Joe Biden of sexism for not allowing women to be angry. I, I'm a woman. I didn't hear his comments that way, but uh, that's just me. Anyway, here was Biden's response yesterday to that. That's not anything that I did or was intended to do. It had nothing to do with that. It had to do with the fact that it started off and she said, you know, Biden's running in the wrong primary because I disagreed with I disagree with her Medicare for all proposal that cost trillions of dollars to pay for. And there's no way to pay for it without raising the taxes on middle class people. Yeah, I mean, Mr. Mayor, I thought it was a really low blow for Elizabeth Warren to say that that was sexist <sighs> to say what Joe Biden said, which was, look, it's either her way or the highway. And if you dare question her plan, uh, you know, you're somehow either a coward or insufficiently Democratic. What did you think? Well, the person who made that charge most eloquently was Senator Amy Klobuchar in the last debate, as you may right. recall. So obviously it's not a sexist comment. It's so very okay for Senator Warren to be angry and or passionate. It's yeah. not okay for her to be wrong. And, you know, I think what she's trying to do is evil Knievel, the Grand Canyon, on the <laughs> Medicare for All plan. And I think that I think that what, what Vice President Biden is saying and Senator Klobuchar um, and, 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 of course, Mayor, Mayor Pete, Pete. Yeah, is that, Pete listen, there's a way to get to universal health care without, without taking private insurance away from 160 million 
million Americans and yeah. raising taxes on the middle class. The Democrats are the ones that are in favor of giving people health care, not taking it away. And I think what, mm. what the realistic wing of the Democratic Party is saying is don't give the Republicans the health care issue back again. Right. Let's be really thoughtful right. and smart about how you propose something that actually works, that you can pay for, that doesn't raise taxes on yeah. the middle class, and actually gives people health care. And I think people have legitimately said to Senator Warren, just because we don't agree with you doesn't make us weak or doesn't make us not ambitious. We just really thoughtful about actually building a bridge that will get you to the other yeah. side. And so, yeah. listen, this is all this is all primary stuff. It's to be expected. They're big boys and girls. They can take yeah. it. They're throwing elbows at each other, and that's just the way primaries well, go. Well, and more to come. Uh, we'll have to have you back, former New Orleans Mayor Mitch Landry. Thanks so much Happy for to come on. back. All right, great. Thanks, sure. Up next, the path former New York City Mayor Mike Bloomberg would take to the White House. Well, it's never been a successful one. I'm sure he's different, though. And later, House Republicans want to call Hunter Biden and the whistleblower to testify at next week's public impeachment hearings. I'll talk to a congressman about whether they'll get their wish. With regard to Michael Bloomberg, I welcome in the race. Michael's a solid guy, and let's see where it goes. I have no no problem with him getting in the race. And uh, and in terms of uh, he's running because of me, I last polls I looked at, I'm pretty far ahead. I know Michael. He became just a nothing. He was really a nothing. Uh, he's not going to do well. There's nobody I'd rather run against than little Michael. <laughs> welcome to the race, Mr. Bloomberg. One thing President Trump and Joe Biden have in common, maybe the only thing, they both seem unfazed by a potential Michael Bloomberg run. Meanwhile, Bernie Sanders and Elizabeth Warren, who've spent a solid chunk of their campaigns railing against income inequality and the billionaire class, they seem giddy at the prospect of taking on the billionaire former mayor of New York City. Warren invited Bloomberg to try out her billionaire tax calculator, which shows that he'd pay $3 billion under her wealth tax. And upon hearing the Bloomberg news, Sanders posted, the billionaire class is scared and they should be scared. OK, but that's all campaign bluster. What do the hard numbers say? Well, as two of my CNN colleagues succinctly put it yesterday, Michael Bloomberg, the ultimate data guy, is ignoring the data. Most recently, an October Fox News poll found that 32 percent of Democratic primary voters would never vote for Bloomberg, not to mention his advisor saying that if Bloomberg runs, he'll skip the first four primary states and instead focus on Super Tuesday. So why run when the numbers are against you? Why run if you're skipping the early states, which has never worked? And if your goal is for Democrats to nominate a formidable moderate, why run if your candidacy weakens the formidable moderate in the lead and boosts the two left-flanking non-moderates? Okay, here to figure it all out, Democratic strategist Aisha Moody-Mills and Republican strategist John Brabender. Aisha, Bloomberg skipping the early caucus and primary states, hedging his bets on Super Tuesday. I don't even live in Is those states and I feel disrespected by the whole thing. Totes. Right? Totally disrespectful. Mm -hmm. He's just going to jump up in this race and say, look at me, I've got all this money. I'm going to snub the early states and claim that he's going to try to compete on Super Tuesday. The reality, though, is that he has no path to victory with regards to the delegates. Mm. Who is Bloomberg's base? I don't know. I don't think that he knows. I'm uh, not uh, sure how uh, his uh, strategists I don't I don't are know. actually counting this out here. Yeah. Uh, but, yeah. but if he's going to feel differently, this, go ahead. You know, look. You can say it's unfair, but it's actually smart strategically if he's going to do this. What he's sitting there saying is, all right, this is not going the way Democrats thought. They all thought we were going to play nice. Have, Says who? 74% of 
one percent are no. satisfied. He's talking about what the billionaire boys club donor <laughs> class. Like, Let me that's finish. who this isn't going what for. What they're sitting there and saying, Biden was supposed to be the pick. We were all going to have these, the front these things. Okay. But, but now he's fourth in Iowa. Okay. And what a lot of people believe is that he's falling, falling, falling. He's going to lose Iowa. He's going to lose New Hampshire. There's going to be a lot of people get excited about Elizabeth Warren when she probably wins both mm. of those. And then all of a sudden, there's no centrist. But and, how and that's he why he doesn't want to get in those early But ones. how will Bloomberg explain the optics of getting in this late, parachuting in, just because he's a billionaire. He can only right. do that because yeah, he's a billionaire. It's, it's the, the, How does he explain that? Yeah, he with the gold. Democrats. He with the gold makes the electoral rule. I just I mean, want to no put some massive that, air quotes around this they. Who this mysterious, mm. massive air quotes around this mysterious they. That they think that Biden is tanking. They wanted it mm-hmm. to be Joe Biden. The they that we're talking about are not the people. Do you think we're it's talking going about well for a, Biden? We're talking about a donor class that's, con- a moderate donor class that's concerned that Elizabeth Warren is going to take their money from them and they want to prop up Joe Biden. There's that is not the people. Out there that which is Hillary why. Clinton, one time, one Hillary Hillary Clinton's making phone calls to potential donors about potentially getting in this race. So if it was going so well for Biden, do you think even Hillary Clinton would be thinking about getting into this I think that says more about Hillary Clinton than it does about the state Mm. of this race. But uh, listen, John, I heard it nonstop over the past two days. Mike Bloomberg is a centrist. He can appeal to Republicans. I don't know a single Republican, including this one, who likes Mike Bloomberg. This feels like a fantasy to me. No, Who is his base? I, I, I don't think that's where his base is. I think his base is to say you better be fearful of these Democrats on the left because they can't get elected mm. in November. I can't. I'm a real Democrat, but I'm a centrist one and a reasonable one. And, and who is he telling that to, the Democrats? Here's the problem with this entire conversation we're having is that we're not actually talking about the people. So when we look at the polls, when we look at Iowa, when we look at just the national polls, the people are clearly saying, the Democratic base, the voters are saying, look, we sure, we want somebody who can beat Donald Trump, but we think that most of these candidates in the field already can beat Donald Trump, number one, so we don't need another person to be an alternative. And two, the entire narrative of the Democratic base right now is to figure out some kind of parity and equity regards to the economic like condition of America. We're not about propping up billionaires and making them our saviors in the you way that the You need to Republican tell that to Mike Bloomberg. I, I, so, got, I got one more, and, and this references something I said in the last block. Aisha, Deval Patrick, mm. former governor that no one outside of donors knows, knows yeah. who that is. Um, Eric Holder was held in contempt of Congress by some mm. Democrats even. Mm. Um, John Kerry couldn't beat George W. Bush. Hillary Clinton couldn't <laughs> beat Donald Trump. Should any of these people consider getting into the race right now. No, I just don't. I think that this old school philosophy and frankly it's paternalistic politics that says that this middle of the road person is the only person that can galvanize America has been proven to be false. All those people that you just mentioned aren't winners <laughs> frankly. And the folks that are exciting the Democrats are the people who are actually principled and stand for something and frankly on the more progressive John, ends. I'm going to give you the last word in the next block because you guys are sitting tight and we're going to talk more um, after the president humiliated Jeff Sessions repeatedly, he is crawling into a campaign for Alabama Senate by pledging Felty to his abuser. He's not alone. And the president gets a loyal attack dog assigned to the Intelligence Committee just in time for impeachment hearings next week. How's that going to go for Democrats? I'll ask one. Stick around. (sighs) President Trump called him weak, confused, ineffective. He allegedly called him a dumb Southerner and, according to The New York Times, an idiot. 
to his face. How has Jeff Sessions, his fired attorney general, responded to those humiliating insults? Take a look. When I left President Trump's cabinet, did I write a tell-all book? No. Did I go on CNN and attack the president? Nope. Have I said a crossword about our president? Not one time. That was Sessions' new ad for his bid to reclaim his old Alabama Senate seat. And it's, in a word, pathetic. Here's what all that groveling and preening got him from the president. Well, I haven't gotten involved. I saw he said very nice things about me last night, but uh, we'll have to see. I'll have to see. Sessions joins a long line of GOP heavyweights who have groveled at the feet of the president, despite being personally insulted and humiliated by him. Trump once called Rand Paul a delusional narcissist and fake conservative. Trump once gave out Lindsey Graham's personal cell phone number on national television. He insulted Ted Cruz's wife, attacked his faith, questioned his citizenship, and accused his dad of being involved in the Kennedy assassination. And yet, all three have lined up behind Trump to shield him from oversight and defend his regular abuses of power. And for what? We'll have to see what this grand bargain gets them in the end. Back with me now are Democratic strategist Aisha Moody-Mills, Republican strategist John Braybender. Um, you know what I just want to say to Jeff Sessions, John? Have you no balls, sir? Mm. Where are your balls? That ad was pathetic. Well, I understand what he was trying to do. You would never make an ad like that for a candidate. I would not have executed that way. (laughs) We're on the same page. But I understand what he's trying to do. But, but Pete, here's what he really should have been talking about. Nobody fought harder for the Trump agenda than Jeff Sessions. Mm. He was the first senator to actually come out and endorse Donald Trump. You know, I mean, he has all these things that Mm. if he wants to tie himself to Donald Trump, he he can do that. And he can say, look, I'm sorry I had to take a principled position as attorney general, but that's well, what we in, that's what we in Alabama do, <laughs> even when they're hard decisions. And then everybody could move on. Uh, but I didn't think the other candidates that went after Sessions looked any better, quite frankly. Aisha, what did you make of that ad? I think, well, I mean, I think he was completely emasculated. He looked ridiculous. Um, and frankly, Trump has, I don't, a, has a way of doing that. He, he does. I don't care what side you're on. I don't want my leader to be a punk. Mm-hmm. Like, I need you to stand up and have some conviction and some backbone. And mm-hmm. so to me, just the whole thing fell flat. But, you know, in your opening, you reminded us how much of a jerk the president is, uh-huh. how horrible of a human he is. And if we look at the cautionary tale of Kentucky just this week, little miniature Trump, Voters said, we don't want someone who is a bully, who's a, na- who's a nasty person, who's a jerk. And they ended up getting rid of him. And so I'm not completely sold in Kentucky. I'm not completely sold on the idea that hanging on to Trump is a winning strategy for some of these folks when it comes to the general. Getting well, to the primary been. We'll see. But we'll see. Um, yeah, we'll find out in Louisiana in a week. Well, that's true. Um, John, as you know, Trump wants to flip that seat back to red, that... Yeah I, think, in Alabama. yeah, I think he's going to stay out of it unless somehow mm-hmm. Roy Moore starts to expand. Uh, but I think oh, Roy guy. Moore's running last. I think, you know, you, you got you got really good candidates there. You got the secretary of state, John Merrill. You got Sessions, Tommy Tuberville. Yeah, the there's like 100 of them. I mean, yeah. there's some really good candidates. There's no reason for Trump to get involved unless somehow Moore starts to rise. And I don't think anybody believes that's going to happen. Mm-hmm. Well, so let's just go back for a second. Someone insults my spouse, my father my faith, and my ethnicity. I'm pretty sure we're not going to be friends anymore. What happened to Ted Cruz? Well, look, the, the thing that you find in Trump world is, I mean, if you remember, Cruz hijacked 
the night of the convention. The RNC, I was the, there. When, yep. when, when right before Mike Pence. Yes. Okay. No, he has been just as vicious in attacking right. Trump before they became best friends. I don't understand. Right. But what you do find is there's always seats on the Trump train if you're willing eventually to get on. And that's how this president is. I mean, Aisha, Trump is a very effective insulter. I mean, mm. effective is a word for it, but he, he's effective at it. Is and it universal worth, at it. Oh, yeah. It spares no one. But but is it worth the humiliation to I'd, keep your job? Look, every quote-unquote good Republican I speak to, and I have some friends who are Republicans. We were just talking about one, um, former RNT chairman, Michael Steele, talks about how embarrassed they are with mm -hmm. this president and his behavior. And I am just so confused at why the Republicans aren't lining up and getting rid of this guy and saying these are not our values, even when it comes to, like, the vice president, Mike Pence, who is a Christian man, a man of mm -hmm. faith, who always talks about leading with his values. And they literally are running around behind this guy who they would not want their children to emulate. Welcome it's to me, circa 2015. Right. I mean, this is where we've been. But, but you know, too, they compartmentalize yeah. it between Donald Trump, do. Trump yeah. the attacker, and the Donald Trump agenda. In fact, they're shocked how conservative he is, yep. how much of a Republican. Mm he is and a lot of things he's doing they're saying go get them but every now and then they're wincing and like everybody yeah, else I've they're never, turning on I've never, twitter in the morning and i've never bought the compartmentalization um idea you you bought him you got all of him you can't take this and leave that but exactly. uh, anyway aisha muda mills Thank and john you. gravender thanks so much for spending time with me tonight appreciate it well, if over 2,600 pages of transcripts weren't enough transparency, next week begins the public phase of the impeachment inquiry. It is arguably also the most critical. I'll have a Democratic lawmaker join me next. In the red file tonight, the impeachment inquiry is going public. This morning, Republicans submitted their own impeachment witness requests to House Intelligence Chairman Adam Schiff. Not shockingly, topping that list, the anonymous whistleblower and Hunter Biden. Chairman Schiff said the committee is evaluating the request and will give them, quote, due consideration, although it's doubtful those two will make the cut. And just in time for public hearings, GOP Congressman, one of Trump's closest allies, Jim Jordan, has been temporarily appointed to the Intelligence Committee, seeming to all but guarantee a televised circus. So how will Democrats strategize this new phase of the impeachment inquiry? With me now is Chief Deputy Whip and Michigan Congressman Dan Kildee. Um, Congressman, starting with the GOP witness list, which also includes former Ambassador Kurt Volker, former Fusion GPS staffer Nellie Orr, and former DNC staffer Alexandra Chalupa. What, um, what do you think Democrats will do with these requests? Will any of them be approved? Well, certainly, you know, Chairman Schiff will have to take a close look at this. But I think the idea of outing the whistleblower, for example, yeah. is preposterous. I mean, yeah. it's called the Whistleblower Protection Act. The whole idea is that we want to protect people who are willing to speak truth to power without any retribution toward them. Right. And rather than dealing with the facts that the whistleblower brought forward, of course, which have been corroborated by the other witnesses, mm -hmm. they want to try to impugn the whistleblower's integrity somehow. Yeah. So that I think we set that aside. The idea of bringing Hunter Biden in to allow the Republicans to pursue their ridiculous conspiracy theories about the Bidens is a... You know, it's what some of my friends would call a goat rodeo. Now, they may want to engage in it. We're not going to be a party to it. So what are your thoughts on Congressman Jim Jordan joining the Intel Committee? 
Well, it's just another example that the Republicans have decided that the best way to protect the president is to turn this whole thing into a gong show and to try to make it a, a theater of chaos uh, with antics rather than you know, dig in and get to the facts. Uh, you know, they have an intelligence committee. It's been functioning for a long time. The idea that they want to bring sort of one of the TV players from the Republican conference into this is a pretty strong signal that they're not going well, to take Well, I mean, let me just seriously. be fair. In all, if, just, to be, just to be fair, Democrats are not above antics. Uh, Adam Schiff is on television all the time. And if I recall in one of the hearings, he read a not factual reading of what actually happened on the call. So let's be, you know, politi politicians politic. But I understand, I, I think I understand your point that Republicans are planning to use this hearing as these public hearings as distraction because uh, really it's their it's their only play um, yeah. those hearings begin this Wednesday what's the goal here for Democrats as far as this week's testimony is it swaying public opinion or are you guys targeting potential Senate jurors well I think one will affect the other public opinion will mm. clearly have an impact on the Senate uh, public opinion public sentiment uh, is everything this will be a chance for the American people to hear directly from these witnesses, these yeah. people who have dedicated their lives to serving the country. And I think it's very difficult to refute the stories that they tell, the characterizations that they will bring uh, mm. forward about this president. And it also will help make the point that this is not just about one phone call. This is about a concerted, coordinated, organized effort by this administration right. at the direction of the president to solicit political uh, intrusion by Ukraine into our election in order to benefit the president. Well, and to your exact point, President Trump is boasting about uh, about releasing another transcript from another Ukraine call. Um, that one from April, he's boasting about giving it over to Democrats. Um, do you know anything about that transcript? I don't, and I and I hate to speculate about it, but okay. it, this president, he does have a bit of a habit of um, of using what you'd call a controlled burn. Uh, maybe there's something in that transcript that is bad, but he will sort of point out that he's the one who brought it forward, mm. so it must be, you know, it must exonerate Redeeming, him in some yeah, way, right, no matter right. what's in it. Uh, so he does, t he does tend to lead with bad news as if somehow if he reveals it, then, you know, it's like he's, you know, committing some sort of a sacrament. Uh, um, yeah. <laughs> Quickly before we go, I know you guys want to hear from Mick Mulvaney. He is stalling, of course, and I know Democrats don't want to drag this out, um, you know, interminably. But um, he's a relevant witness. So how long are you guys going to wait to get him? Well, you know, they're obviously going to use stall tactics. I think for, for many of us, we feel that we have the witnesses and the information that we need. We still need to pursue all the witnesses that we can, but if they're going to just simply stall, I think we have to take action. I hope Mr. Sure. Mulvaney comes forward. He is at the center yeah. of all of this. Yeah, he is. He, he sort of slipped and had a moment of truth when he was standing before reporters, <laughs> yeah. you know, a couple of weeks ago. Uh, yeah. He has some questions to answer. All right, Congressman Kildee, thanks so much for coming on and breaking thanks. that down for us. Thanks, Essie. All right. The president's allies and right-wing media outlets have made a concerted and dangerous effort to out- the whistleblower, including a misidentification. That's next.
as more and more evidence mounts that a political quid pro quo did exist between President Trump and Ukraine. Some congressional Republicans are sharpening their line of attack. Expose the whistleblower. Most publicly, that charge came on Monday from Senator Rand Paul at a Trump rally in Kentucky. I say tonight to the media, do your job and print his name. He then went further Tuesday by saying he could reveal the whistleblower's name himself. Well, that was the Rand Paul who's pretending to be a Trump suck-up. But the other Rand Paul, the one who was pretending to be a libertarian back in 2013, he actually won an award for his work protecting whistleblowers. That Rand Paul pushed for protections for whistleblowers to extend to government contractors such as Edward Snowden. That Rand Paul was outraged, outraged by the NSA's bulk data collection exposed by Snowden, a violation of privacy rights. But the Rand Paul, who's pretending to be a Trump suck-up, no longer cares about privacy or conservatism, not when it comes to the whistleblower. Senator Lindsey Graham is also saying now he needs to know who this person is. Republicans put him on the list of people they want to testify publicly in the impeachment inquiry. And no surprise, Trump wants him outed too. The whistleblower is a disgrace to our country, a disgrace. And the whistleblower, because of that, should be revealed. All right, let's make something clear. The whistleblower is protected by law. He's also kind of unnecessary to this investigation now that officials have corroborated all the complaints he laid out. Okay, with me now is CNN's chief media correspondent, the anchor of Reliable Sources, Brian Stelter. Brian, as you know, every major news outlet has refused to publish the name of the whistleblower. Even Fox News, as you reported, told their hosts and personalities, do not identify the whistleblower. Here, the media is refusing to aid and abet Republicans who seem to just be out for blood. And I think that's partly because it's very, very hard, if not almost impossible, to confirm the name of whoever mm. this was. Mm. Look, uh, news outlets may think they know who the whistleblower was. They may have some evidence. I certainly don't know. I don't think most journalists know who it is. Mm. But certainly the Sean Hannity's the world have been claiming they know who this whistleblower yes. is. Uh, if the lawyers won't confirm it and the whistleblower won't confirm it and others won't mm. confirm it, then how do you know for sure? That's number one. And number two, as you said, this it doesn't really matter. Anymore. If if I'm the first person to spot a fire on the horizon, mm. but then everybody else notices the fire and the fire fires show up and the fire is being fought, then what's the point of identifying the yeah. original fire fire yeah. witness? The fire witness, it, it's irrelevant. I understand though why, for political reasons, mm -hmm. it makes for an interesting argument. Uh, I get that, but I hope people and I think most people do see through the smoke. Well, so sticking with the media on this, if President Trump or any other elected official uh, chooses to expose the whistleblower as they seem to be threatening, how do you think the media should handle that? It is striking that Facebook and YouTube, for example, have said, hey, we're, we're going to make sure the posts that are claiming to identify this person yeah. don't show up in your feeds either. Facebook, yeah. for example, saying any mention of the name, the potential person's mm -hmm. name, violates our coordinated harm policy, which prohibits outing of a witness or informer or activist, yeah. informant or activist. That is a remarkable position for these big tech companies to take. Yeah. I don't think they would be talking that way a few years ago. Hmm. So we see uh, a number of different institutions trying to be responsible yeah. in this situation. Uh, however, being responsible <clears throat> feeds into the GOP or the, the right wing narrative uh, that there's a cover up going on. Right. There's right. A, the, the whistleblower must be a Democratic spy. Right. And that the media a, is with him. It's a yeah. double edged sword, isn't it? Well, so a guest on one Fox News show named 
a person he thought was the whistleblower right. on air. Do you think hosts should be held accountable for what their guests say? I thought it was strange that the host didn't say anything in that moment. Look, mm. I've been in this situation where a guest says something, you're, you're the host, you don't catch it, you're embarrassed yeah, right. by it later. Maybe that's what happened in this case. But Oliver Darson and I reported this week that Fox uh, hosts and stars were told we are not in this game. We are not outing this whistleblower. We don't know who it is. Yeah. We don't know who this person is. Yeah. Even though the strong hands of the world do want to, to, to I guess, blur out whatever name yeah. they think applies. I, I guess at the heart of this, it's an attempt to deflect and distract. And mm-hmm. it can seem like a petty game, but I think there's a layer where this is dangerous because it's ultimately about disinformation. There's a disinformation campaign trying to get away from the core of yeah. the story. Here. Well, and I want to talk more about that with you, so don't go anywhere. Okay. We'll be right back. I'm back with Brian Stelter. We're talking about the whistleblower and the media's responsibility here. Now, the person uh, who said his name on a Fox News show, the guest, was a radio host, a right-wing radio radio host named Lars Larson. And he's now complaining that he's getting death threats and people cursing at him. Hmm. Ironic, considering, you know, what the whistleblower's own attorney is saying, that he's urging people... Uh, notably members of Congress, to reflect on the important role of whistleblowers and the danger that they are put in um, if revealed. Right, and this, this whistleblower show should be nonpartisan. Yeah. It used to be nonpartisan. Mm-hmm. Uh, there, there is a value in a democratic society to create forums and, and channels where government staffers can come forward with allegations of wrongdoing. Now, I get we're in an incredible situation here where that allegation yeah. is against the president. But... We don't have to throw away all the rules uh, in this situation uh, just because of that. Um, you know, the president's still out there demanding to know who this whistleblower is. But Lars Larson doesn't actually know. The people who are mm-hmm. claiming to know the name of this person, him or her, they don't actually know. Yeah. Only his lawyers really know. Mm-hmm. And we'll have to wait for that confirmation. Uh, if, if it we, even if matters we ever get it. at all. That's right. Brian, thank you so much. And make sure to catch <laughs> Brian on Reliable Sources tomorrow at 11 a.m. Eastern. That does it for me. But next up, a do not miss hour of the Axe Files. David Axelrod speaks to Cindy McCain about her late husband's legacy and the state of the Republican Party on the Axe Files. It's powerful. Stick around. Quality sleep is essential, and that's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. So you can choose what's right for you whenever you like. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature. Quiets their snores. Sleep Number does that. Sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on Sleep Number limited edition smart beds for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com.